0: Hello and welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast dedicated to the heritage of this wonderful country. I'm Annie, your Haggai hunting archivist.
1: And I'm Jenny, your wild haglet on the run. And in this episode, we're looking into the weird and wonderful history of the haggis. Yes, <laughs> haggis
0: is the national dish of Scotland and it tastes like a perfect balance of meaty miscellany and oats deep in a cloak of black pepper seasoning. It's rich and fatty, stuffed deep in its strange grey balloon-like skin. Mm. Nowadays, there are a great variety of different types of haggis and vegan and vegetarian haggis are increasingly popular, which are the varieties I prefer because I don't have a strong enough stomach for the real haggis.
1: Well, Annie, luckily for you, the haggis brings its own stomach. That's the whole point. It's literally, it comes wrapped in a handy stomach. It's a stomach. Yeah. (laughs) 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 That's right. Everyone get your grimaces on. It's going to be a long episode. (laughs) (laughs) The haggis are a rare Scottish animal. In fact, probably the rarest of all. Even more so than the Scottish wildcat or Nessie. What about the unicorn, Jenny? Don't be ridiculous, Annie. There haven't been unicorns since they put them all on the passports. (laughs) And isn't there only one Loch Ness monster? No, 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 no. Nessie is actually, like, so you know all the little bumps of a Nessie? They're all individual monsters and they just go on rota shift and each one is its hump kind of thing. That's why you sometimes see four (laughs) humps in a row, sometimes you see one hump in a row. Just depends who's on shift, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes perfect sense to me, Jenny So
1: now back to the haggises Well, the Haggai are still out there in the wilderness Roaming the glens and punctuating the drizzle-filled air With their sporadic yet soothing mating calls I actually um, have one of the few recordings That's been captured in recent decades here Do you want to hear it, Annie?
0: I would love to hear it, Jenny I believe in you Oh,
1: yum something along those lines (laughs) (laughs) how very soothing one of the reasons that haggis are so difficult to spot in the wild is that their long auburn hair tends to tangle in a knot with the heather that they're commonly running through and this creates a sort of roaming heather patch but if you were to catch one and comb out all the bracken which would be no easy task then its shiny coat would be worth a pretty bitcoin on the deep web.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I heard in the olden days that they used to make scarves out of hag skins. Yes, yeah, scarves and
1: sporran used to be made out of haggis. <laughs> but good luck catching one of them, because the haggai live on the steep slopes of the glens and up treacherous mountainsides. Because of this life on the slant, their evolutionary path has been also somewhat skew With And after thousands of years of environment-driven natural selection, one side of the haggis's legs have grown longer than the other. This means that they are much more stable on the slope of a hill than any other creature, and they can therefore outrun any predator while also being able to reach food that would otherwise be unobtainable. However, it does mean that if the haggis were to wake up one morning in a daze and start its day off in the wrong direction, then the poor creature would have no footing at all and tumble down the hillside. And because of its aerodynamic, rounded body, it can reach great speeds on its bounce down the mountain. And this, Annie, is where the term the Flying Scotsman comes from. (laughs)
0: Well, Jenny... (laughs) Shockingly enough... Some of this story is supported, though with slight variations, from the archives of the Montrose Standard, a local newspaper from January 1925. Wait, really? Yes. Why oh. wouldn't the archive support your vigorous research, Jenny?
1: No reason, no. My research is as uh, watertight as a sheep's stomach, Annie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so here's the version from the Montrose Standard, from 95 years ago.
1: The haggis is a wild animal that frequents lonely places in the Highlands. It is ferocious to the extreme and it is a great fighter. But its flesh is so great a delicacy that it is much sought after and desperate chances have been taken in pursuit of it as well as trying to evade its wrath. Time and again has the sturdy Highlander Gone out in the dead of night to track the kingly haggis to their native lair. For hours, the intrepid hunter will lie quietly on their stomach behind a haggis hole, awaiting the faint blink of dawn. At first light, the brute of a haggis arises with a stupor of sleep still upon it and ventures out in search of stray mealy puddings, these are the only bait by which the haggis can be trapped alive. The haggis can be killed in only one way. Its vulnerable part is the tender, unprotected softness between its shoulder blades. And it is at this point that the craft hunter strikes. If the hunter is successful, the haggis is theirs. If not, then the haggis is free. There is a bounty on haggis tails of twopence, half a penny... This is how the average Scot has become so wealthy.
0: So remember, this was written 95 years ago. So by my calculation, according to inflation, a tuppence halfpenny is only worth about 50 pence to a pound in today's money. Oh. So the valiant haggis hunter would only be able to buy a small loaf of bread from the bounty on their haggis tail.
1: Nonsense, Annie. Scotland's castles were built on haggis money. Let's head back
0: to the archives, Jenny.
1: The Scots eat haggis for the same reason as the ancient savage drank the blood of his slain adversary from a skull. To imbue him with the courage of his noble foe. Of course, the Scot has to have great bravery in the first place to attempt to even eat the haggis. Well... Clearly, the wild haggis is a figure of mythology. That is a bold claim, Annie, made by someone who's never even seen one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jenny, what is real is that there is a genuine love in Scotland for making up haggis legends. It's a brilliant piece of fun around the meal of the haggis to recount the folklore And it's something that I've heard many of my friends do, especially when they have tourists visiting. (laughs) And it's something that I've seen grandparents do with their grandchildren. And it's just a bit of charming make-believe.
1: Well, Annie, mythology or not, every time I eat a haggis, I am imagining consuming the courage of my noble foe. (laughs) (laughs) And the legend of the wild haggis is true in all of our hearts, if not also our stomachs. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I do think the most ethical meat that folks can eat has to be the full body of an animal, including the blood and the organs, because it means absolutely nothing is going to waste. So I do think the haggis is quite an ethical way to eat meat. Mm -hmm. But Jenny, please do tell me about what is going into a traditional haggis. You
1: sure about this, Annie? You sure you want to do this?
0: (laughs) I'm not sure, Jenny. I'm not sure. (laughs)
1: Well, we're doing it anyway because you asked. Haggis (laughs) is part of a rich dynasty of Scottish puddings. A king amongst kings that has ruled for centuries. Now, don't go thinking of like jam puddings or treacle puddings when we talk about Scottish puddings. It is not like that at all.
0: Okay, so for our international audience... When we're talking about puddings here, we are not talking about desserts.
1: I would be raging if someone's like, time for dessert and it's sticky toffee haggis.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would be really quite disgusted. Can you just imagine pouring a bit of custard on it? Lumpy,
1: bumpy custard for your lumpy, bumpy haggis. (laughs) Oh, don't Jenny. It's making me bulk. (laughs) Now, these puddings are made of what all the special puddings are made of. Innards. We have black pudding, red pudding, white pudding and king of them all. Quite literally wearing his guts for garters is the haggis, the one pudding to rule them all.
0: So these puddings are a kind of sausage style savoury meat dish, which in Scotland consists mostly of blood or organs of an animal being stuffed inside (laughs) some kind of skin. Usually with some oats to bulk it up or some barley.
1: I really want to apologise to anyone who's listening to this podcast at like 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> like They've not had breakfast yet, they're still on their coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but the name pudding comes from the French boudin. It's the old alliance of sausages.
0: Yes, and the nobles of our pudding dynasty are showing off all their offal. So Jenny, please tell me more about the haggis
1: handmaidens of the pudding court. Well, the red, white and black puddings all have their own unique qualities. Much like pieces on a chessboard, they all play an essential role in Scotland's socio-political game of fatty foodstuffs. Just wait for the Netflix special on these. (laughs) Our bishop is the white pudding, a sacred mixture of oats, suet and onions, sometimes with a little sprinkling of pearl barley in there if you're feeling adventurous. The suet is the hard fat of the animal, so it has a rich flavour and it means you get the flavour of meat without actually using up any of the expensive meat, just the fat.
0: So I find white pudding tastes a lot like scurly, which is a kind of oddy stuffing that we would serve with roast dinners up here.
1: I just had Scurley for the first time the other day at a Sunday roast and I was trying to pretend like it wasn't my first time but it was very obviously my first time. (laughs) (laughs) Did you enjoy it, Jenny? I did. It was very, very very rich tasting considering it looks like a bowl of porridge at your dinner table.
0: And it's got this intriguing grainy consistency that you just don't get with any other stuffing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like a really rich trip to the beach. (laughs) Now next we have Red Pudding, our brave knight. Most commonly found clarted in batter in fish and chip shops, red pudding is a meaty melody of beef, pork, or bacon mixed with fat, rusks, and spices. Because of its high meat content, it tastes a lot like, like your regular kind of sausage with extra flavour from, again, the excessive suet. And nowadays, it's often got like um, a cheeky wee bit of red food colouring in there to make it even brighter red.
0: Well, Jenny, it takes a brave night indeed to joust with a red pudding. <laughs> I am so sorry to all of our, <laughs> our listeners for all of this episode. Black
1: pudding is more. There's so many puddings. There's so many meaty puddings. <laughs> <laughs> the black pudding is our castle of the chess set. A strong, sturdy and full-flavoured black sausage made of oats soaked in pig's blood. The most famous black puddings in Scotland are from Stornoway, where they're frequently serenaded by the band Pete and Diesel. And I have to say, I think black pudding is my favorite out of all the puddings we have mentioned. It's uh, a <laughs> it's, it's the most I just say like the the least offensive. <laughs>
0: My family, my father especially, really loves all of the puddings and whenever he gets one out of the fridge to cook up, I always kind of wrinkle my nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as you're saying, um, away Black Pudding is really considered a delicacy and so many folks absolutely love it. And it's got quite a special place in Highland culture. Um, there's an old Gaelic saying that when you run out of vegetables in the winter, you can always bleed the pigs, something along that lines. And it's just saying that you can make black pudding at any time of year, really, as long as you've got an animal on the farm. Um, And also you can bleed an animal without killing it, which was a really good way for people to keep going throughout the winter. But Jenny, who is the overlord of the puddings?
1: Well the stunning chieftain of the pudding race is of course the haggis and our haggis has ancient origins of great mystery the dish goes so far back that no one is quite sure of its origin some suggest that the Romans brought the idea of preserving meats inside the stomach of an animal when they invaded Britain, others say it was the Vikings, who may have also wanted a handy stomach, full of goodies for when they were on their raids, it's like a pocket full of nuts, only it's a pocket full of (laughs) offal. There is also the possibility that it wasn't brought from faraway lands at all, but naturally developed as a way for hunters to quickly cook the parts of their game that wouldn't keep very well. They'd quickly chop up the innards, stick them in the stomach, and then cook the resulting haggis next to their kill. Just like that.
0: Yummy. Now, over the centuries, the haggis has picked up some extra ingredients, including oats, onion, and a variety of spices. And the vegan and vegetarian options have nuts, seeds, vegetables and loads of pearl barley.
1: Mm. The vegetarian ones are really good, actually. I think you cooked one for Burns' supper last year and I was very pleasantly surprised. It was genuinely enjoyable, much better than I expected. Yeah, they are delicious. But because the traditional haggis is made up using the less valuable parts of the animal, it was a very cheap yet nourishing meal. So it's no surprise that it was a common meal all throughout Scotland. Rabbi Burns was so fond of the dish that he dedicated a whole poem to it. And it's because of this poem, Addressed to a Haggis, that we eat haggis on Burns Night. It has become so synonymous with Scotland that it's now our national dish.
0: Yes, it's a very versatile dish. And I'd say the majority of people just pick up a ready-made one in the supermarket. It can be boiled, baked, just popped in the microwave, or a Scottish speciality, it can be deep-fried in batter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus, there's now variations such as haggis pakora which is a perfect fusion of South Asian and Scottish cuisine. They're really good. I love a good haggis pakora mm-hmm. Mm. hmm mm Nom num 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 Anyway, Jenny, I found a lovely Victorian recipe for a haggis, which seems to be really quite authentic to everything we imagine the haggis being. Shall we read it out for folks? I mean,
1: do do we really want people to know how the Victorians made a haggis? Have we not put them through enough? (laughs) 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 All right, okay, here we go. All right, time to whip out Maggie Smith, Prime of Miss Jean Brody. Here we go. Take a sheep's paunch and clean it properly. Observing not to enlarge the hole any more than is absolutely necessary, as it must afterwards be sewed back up. So the punch
0: is the sheep's stomach, and what this author is going to do is just use the existing natural holes of the stomach to sew back up.
1: Then pluck the heart, liver and lights, and parboil for an hour. Then grate the liver and chop up the heart and about half of the lights as fine as possible. So the lights are the sheep's lungs. Take a tea cup of oatmeal tossed nicely before the fire until it becomes browned. Then mix this thoroughly in a basin with the prepared pluck, a little finely shred suet and sufficient seasoning of shred onion, salt and pepper take some of the stock or water in which the pluck was boiled and pour it among the other ingredients until the whole is brought to the consistency of a nice thin porridge then turn it all into the paunch sew up the opening firmly tie it in a towel or clean cloth and boil gently for four hours during the process of boiling Make sure to probe the haggis occasionally with a darning needle to allow the air to escape. The last thing you want is a high-pressure, half-cooked haggis explosion painting your walls. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) I love what you've done with the place. It's so brown and textured. It's like being in the 70s again. (laughs) (laughs) The changing rooms no one asked for. (laughs)
0: so the really traditional part of this recipe is that all of the offal the heart and the lungs are being chopped by hand instead of minced as you would get nowadays and it would give the haggis a different texture to the modern one we have today and I've listened to a lot of oral histories of people speaking about haggises because that's kind of research that we do for this podcast and people do speak very fondly about chopping up the various organs of the animal to stuff into the haggis.
1: I've been reading a book uh, about various traditional Scottish storytellers and they're all telling of their upbringing in the Isles and saying how the delicacy there was eating the head of the sheep and they'd just boil the whole head and then slap it on the table and they'd all just eat the head of a sheep. So at least we don't have to go through that.
0: Yeah, I also stumbled across something in one of the newspapers that they would call one of the markets near Edinburgh the haggis market, because they were selling so many sheep that people would be excited that they'd they'd be able to make all of these dishes that use the parts of the sheep that maybe might not get eaten nowadays. However, back to our traditional Victorian recipe, it gives us some old and strange variations that I've not actually heard of until I came
1: across this. You may possibly add some eggs and other spices than merely pepper and salt, "'but you would be forgoing the genuine article. A "'Great caution must be used when the haggis is dished and about to be served out, "'so as not to make too large an opening at first, "'because if this is not attended to, "'there will be an inundation of haggis all over the table. "'It has been our good fortune to introduce the haggis into some parts of the kingdom "'where even its name was previously unknown.' And we have been often amused to see how those who, at first sight, could scarcely be persuaded such a palatable dish could be constructed out of such apparently unpromising materials, when these non-believers could be gradually led on to taste, impelled perhaps at first by curiosity and partly the grateful odours emitted from its dewy pores, they would surely be converted.' Nothing like the grateful odors of a haggis. And it's dewy, poor Zaddy. I mean, I'm not going to lie, I've never found myself jealous of the smooth, flawless skin of a haggis before. But now that I think about it, I wonder if we should start a cosmetics range. Mmm,
0: let the haggis release the inner hag in you. Awful good results,
1: (laughs) guaranteed. (laughs) the joke i expected but that's so funny <laughs> annie i hate to say it but the haggis myth you chose from the montreal standard archive earlier I, it wasn't the most exciting one that we came across was it
0: Well, Jenny, I did notice there was another legend right next to it, Mm -hmm. but I thought that this was a bit too far-fetched and ridiculous, even for our podcast
1: that tends to look at slightly surreal folklore. Shani, none of that. There are no limits to our probing of the innards of mythology. Plus, this is a beautiful story. It takes us back to medieval Scotland, the lands of the clans, when Scotland and England were ruled by different monarchs, both independent and frequently feuding.
0: So Jenny, I'm really not sure that we actually do need to retell this mythology.
1: The Haggis and Habit Freed Scotland. The Haggis is not the famous musical instrument beloved by all those who hail from north of the Tweed and abominated by the unmusical. However, the sainted haggis and the bagpipes are so closely related that it is difficult to tell them apart when they are played together. Now, <laughs> now, Annie, please, this is factual. Now, Scottish history informs all who care to read it in between the lines that the poor, peace-loving, law-abiding, sober, harmless, oatmeal-eating Scots in bygone days were much harassed by their thieving, head-chopping, roast-beef-loving neighbours to the south of them, the English, and that for years they stove vainly to clear the beloved land of the Sassanach hordes.
0: So, I mean, these are just hugely <laughs> problematic and offensive stereotypes because if you actually look at the history, the Scots were also expert headchoppers.
1: Those beef-loving Lowlanders. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I guess if we are in medieval times, there is certainly disputes between Scotland and England. One day
1: in dire straits, it occurred to one of the noble Scottish leaders Sir Ian MacAllister of Hague, that if the awe-inspiring shriek of the dying haggis could only be preserved and reproduced, that it could be used as a weapon. This shriek might be the means of terrifying and putting the English to flight. After years of research, a whole loch of whisky was found in a quiet, unfrequented part of North Scotland. Okay, I'm just going to dispute this. There is no way that an entire loch of whisky went unfound for years in the north of Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) No way. I was just hiding in a glen. (laughs) The experiment was tried out before the then aged and venerable Sir Ian, who was spending his days peacefully by the whisky loch shore taking in the waters, quite literally. (laughs) Haggis from all over the highlands were trapped and transported to the loch. And then, when they were on the shore, they were stabbed and held above the marvellous whiskey-filled loch. And as they commenced their last long-drawn swan song, they were dropped into the whiskey waters. (laughs) (laughs) Next, a hundred haggis skins were stretched and dried. Links were pierced in them at intervals and reeds were thrust into the holes. Through these reeds, the whiskey, which now contained the preserved yells of a hundred haggis, was poured. A hundred volunteers were called for the hazardous undertaking and a million immediately offered themselves. But finally, it was narrowed to the best haggis handlers that there were and a hundred of Scotia's brawniest Highlanders, each with a haggis skin fully charged and under his arm, set out in the dead of night to liven up the English by murdering them. In the dead of night, at a given signal, the snuffy sneeze of their leader, the gallant men of the North sprang to their feet, compressed the haggis skins under their arms, and reproduced one hundredfold in terrifying and thunderous volume The Hundred Haggis' Dying Yells. And those, Annie, were the first known bagpipes in history and paved the way for the invention of the modern gramophone and, in fact, beats by Dr. Dre. The English broke and fled, leaving half their number dead on the field. The other half are still running away from the sound of the bagpipes to this very day. And this is how the Haggis freed the Scots from England once and for all. You can tell it's mythology because we're still not free of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they clearly hadn't heard of referendums back in this time. Um, But this is a a splendid example of how the haggis has inspired some of the strangest legends across the land once again.
1: (laughs) At least there were no chopped up lungs in this one.
0: our listeners enjoyed that story jenny i would be genuinely shocked (laughs) we're going to close this episode by reciting the famous address to haggis poem by burns so we'll do some quick thanks to everyone just now first and mostly thank you all for listening to us
1: Yay, you made it through the episode. Congratulations. I actually for a moment (laughs) thought I wasn't going to make it through the episode and I wrote it. (laughs) We appreciate
0: your support so much. We love that you've shared our podcast with your friends and that no matter how (laughs) strange or disgusting our episodes are, you keep tuned
1: in. Or if someone's like, "Oh, I love this podcast. You should listen to it." And the first episode they listen to is this I guess, one. And like, is
0: this? So, but yes, we are so grateful as well for all of your reviews that you've left us. We are delighted whenever we read them. They always make us smile, and we're always very privileged that you take the time to write them and make them as funny or as kind and generous as you do.
1: Please let us know what you thought of this episode. (laughs) No,
0: please please don't. (laughs) We would also love to thank all of our Patreon supporters. We are shocked that so many folks support us on Patreon and are always incredibly grateful to all of you. We have a new member of our Patreon family, Rona. So a big warm welcome to you. Welcome. Whether or not you have a haggis to stab this Burns night, Jenny is going to recite the Address to the Haggis. Now, it's a wonderful Scots poem by Robert Burns, traditionally read on Burns night before the stabbing of the haggis. So normally when I've heard it recited, the haggis is cut midway through the poem. So look out for the line and cut ye up because that's when you're meant to stab the knife in the haggis. If you're psyched in this at your own Burns supper, make sure to cut open your haggis
1: when you're threatening it with this pawn. I remember when we were in school, we were all about 10 years old and we were having a Burns night and one boy got the job of cutting the haggis but they didn't want to give him a proper knife so they gave him a butter knife. And so it gets to the bit where he has to stab the haggis and the butter knife wouldn't go in. And it was like... Like the whole school watching this poor boy just like stab a haggis with it's skeetering around a plate. <laughs> Please, for all that's good in the world,
0: let's finish this episode now. Jenny, the address to a haggis.
1: Here we go, folks. This is the address to a haggis. Fair fa, your honest sauncy face, great chieftain o' the pudding race. A boon them, ah, ye tack your place. Pinch, tripe, or threem. Weal, are ye wordy o a grace, as lang's my arm. The groaning trencher there ye fill, Your hurdies like a distant hill, Your pinwad help to mend a mill in time o' need, While through your pores the dews distil like amber bead. His knife see rustic labour dight, And cut you up with ready slight, Trenching your gushing entrails bright, like ony ditch, and then, oh, what a glorious sight, warm, reekin' rich. Then, horn for horn, they stretch and strive, Deal tack the hindmost, on they drive, till a veer we'll swild kites believe, are bent like drums. Then, old good man, mace like to reeve, bethank it hums. Is there that o'er his French ragout? Or oleo that would stall a so, Or fricochet wad mac her spew, we perfect sconer. Looks down we sneering scornful view, on sick a dinner. Poor devil, see him o'er his trash, as feckless as a withered rash. His spindle shank a gid whiplash, his neve knit, Throw bloody fluid or field to dash, oh, how unfit. But mark the rustic haggis fed; the trembling earth resounds his tread. Clap his wally neva blade; he'll mak it whistle, and legs and arms and heads will sned like taps o thristle. Ye powers, war mak mankind your care, and dish them out their billow fare. Old Scotland once nae skinking ware, that drops in luggies. But if ye wish your grateful prayer a Haggis.
0: Beautiful. Thank you <laughs> so much, Jenny, for that great attempt at the address to was... the Haggis. Thank everyone for listening to Stories of Scotland. We promise our next episode will be better. Wherever you are in the world, have a wonderful Burns night.
1: Sláinte-vá! slainte
0: <laughs> doing we actually did an episode on the radical war remember when we did history you know
1: yes i do i'm not even going to go back into the the archives of our respectable episodes we're powering on through this episode jenny i think we're both just like please let's never talk about the innards of a sheep again